Last Wednesday, the uh, elders announced their decision to move towards opening the pulpit and the eldership to uh, women as well as men here at City Fellowship. And as was mentioned, those special teaching times will begin this Wednesday, and you can watch your email, if you would, for a link to resources that are relevant to these teaching times. And um, as our, 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 our sister so eloquently led us uh, in recognizing that there is a variety of emotions and a variety of perspectives represented here, um, I do feel as though I would be um, untruthful if I didn't testify as to this process being one that was very enriching for me, and it has really uh, drawn my heart um, closer to the Lord, and uh, I am very much looking forward to talking through what um, I'm calling a, a, us moving towards a theology of renewal, and uh, it's just done something of a renewal in my own heart, and so I'm excited for you to be there. I want to invite everybody to come um, beginning this Wednesday night. You can watch your email for some resources there. Um, God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Uh, we begin today in a new sermon series entitled, My Little Children, and it is um, from the book of 1 John. And, the, oh, and once again, we have wonderful, the wonderful Song Kim to thank for this, this artwork. Is she here? I don't know if she's... Oh, Lyra, you are right in front. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Song. I owe Song a lot of gratitude this time because I came late, and I apologize for that in front of everybody, in front of God and everybody. Um, but as usual, she did a wonderful job uh, despite the, the turnaround time. Um, and I love it because it looks like the cover of a children's book, uh, which is kind of, you know, I didn't know I had that in mind when I asked her, but it turns out it is what I had in mind. Um, it's like a book that you would pull out to read, a child right before turning out the light and saying goodnight. Um, this book, uh, in many ways, what First John is, is kind of like that. Uh, it's John, it's like John saying goodnight and goodbye to us and his, the churches that he cares so much about. We don't know for sure the date that this letter of First John was written, but we know that it was one of the Apostle John's last, written at the end of the first century and at the end of his life. And so according to church tradition, John was the only apostle to reach old age. His ministry at that time that he wrote this book had been long, had been fruitful, and I think it's fair to read this book as a record of the last things that, he, that the aging apostle wants to say to the churches throughout Asia Minor. And so he writes very directly, and he writes very honestly. And he writes very much with a heart overflowing with fatherly love. And so you're going to be able to hear that fatherly heart over and over again as John uses this phrase from where we get the title of the, uh, uh, the, the series, My Little Children. No less than seven times in this letter in one way or another, he says, My Little Children, My Children, an affectionate term. Um, it reveals his his fatherly heart. And as I, that's what I picked up on. It's what grabbed my attention. As I was reading through this book several times, it only takes about 15 minutes to read through it. I recommend that everybody reads through it this week at some point, just in one sitting. If you do that in one sitting, it has an effect that's different than breaking it up. Um, as I read through it, I felt the weight of the power of him saying, my little children, my little children, over and over again. I felt John speaking in a very personal way as one who has walked through 
through many trials with God, many tribulations, and, and through many, many years, and I could feel his love at the end of that journey for the church, but I could also feel that that love for the church comes and grows out of his love, his deep abiding love for God. And if there is anything that the Apostle John is known for, it's his closeness to God. It's his closeness to Jesus. We're going to talk about this more later, but John was known as the apostle that Jesus loved. Um, and along, along with Peter and James, John was in Jesus' innermost circle of friends. And he was the only apostle found at the foot of the cross. And it was while Jesus was on that cross that he entrusted the care of his own mother to John. Jesus and John were close. And because of the outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, Jesus and John remained close. Closer even than they had been when Jesus was here over the long years of John's life. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, people that have been good friends for a long time, sometimes married couples, this happens to them, they start looking like each other. They start talking like each other. They start dressing like each other. They start finishing each other's sentences, right? And that's the sense I get as I read the book of 1 John. <laughs> but I'm not just hearing the father heart of John, but I'm hearing the father heart of God. And you'll notice this if you read through the whole book. Every time John says, my little children, you'll start to get this feeling if you read through that you're like a child sitting on the lap of Jesus himself, like one of those children to which Jesus said, let them come unto me. And you'll feel Jesus himself telling you what you need to know for this life. Don't you want to grow up to be an old person like John? Since nobody's an old person here, I can say that. <clears throat> Don't you want to be a sage? Don't you want to be someone who has walked with Jesus so close through the years that you finally start to talk like him? Don't you want to be an old person who speaks more of God's words than your own words? Don't you want to be an old person that is a source of wisdom? Don't you want to be an old person that, is, that people seek out not because they are going to hear your wisdom, but because they're going to hear the wisdom, the very wisdom of God? That's something to aspire to, but if that is going to happen, now's the time to start. Now's the time to start. The Apostle John is speaking the Father heart of God in this book. And if that's the heart that you want in you, like it was in John, then you better do like John did when he was with Jesus. He sat close to him, close enough to lay his head back on the chest of Jesus. Let's draw in now, and let's listen close, and let's open up, and let's read just the first four verses of 1 John. He sets up a lot of the book here, what it's about and so let's listen close. Let's move in close. And in fact, if you're able, let's stand together as I read from the Word of God. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life, the life 
was made manifest, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and then was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What is the father heart of God for his children? What is the father heart of God for his children in the opening passages of 1 John? I think we've got four thing or uh, we've got three things here that is going to reveal to us the father's heart for you. And these three things kind of set the stage for what the rest of the book is about. And I'd like to start right here. That first of all, right from the very beginning, right from the top, the father heart of John that is reflective of the father heart of God for us says that he would like us to know the truth about him. The father heart of God for his children is that we would know the truth about him. One thing I like about 1 John is that you never have to wonder why John is writing it. Five times John will use this phrase, I am writing these things so that. It's pretty direct. I appreciate people that are, you know, that I don't have to do a lot of jumping around and guessing, you know. They just tell you, uh, I am writing these things so that. John makes it very clear in the next chapter that one of his major aims in this letter is to counteract false teaching that is becoming prominent in the churches at the end of the first century. It is the father heart of John, and it is the father heart of God that you would not be deceived, that you would know the truth, because much of the false teaching that was coming in was about the very nature of Christ. And that is something that God wants you to know the truth about. And so John begins this letter, not with a common greeting as most letters would from the time, but instead, he jumps right in with a series of truths about the truth, which is Jesus Christ. First of all, it says that Jesus is fully God. He was there from the beginning. Jesus is fully man. He was manifested. Jesus is the word. That is to say that Jesus is what God has to say to us. And then uh, fourthly, that Jesus is the life. The word that Jesus is, is the life that we have from the Father. All of that is present in the very first sentence of this letter. It is the Father heart of God that you would know the truth, and the most foundational truth that you need to know is this. Jesus of Nazareth is the word of life made manifest. Now John says you need to know this truth. John says I'm a witness to this truth. I, along with the other disciples, we saw Jesus, we heard him with our ears, we touched him with our hands. And you see, at the beginning of the, of the first century, there was a philosophy that was starting to creep into the church called Gnosticism, generally. And one of its tenets was something called dualism. Dualism says that the spirit is good, but that, the mat that matter is evil. They thought that God couldn't have directly created the earth, because that would put him in contact with e evil, and it would, it would affect him. Uh, they thought that God couldn't have directly, uh, that in the same way they thought that Jesus was divine, 
but that he couldn't also be human at the same time. Because without the Spirit of God in him, it would have to become corrupted if he came in that close contact with the flesh. And so they said that Jesus only appeared to be human. And John jumps right in with this, uh, you know, with both feet and says, no, I saw him. I heard him. I put my hands on him. Um, uh, uh, What it says in the King James Version is, I I handled him. Okay. He was fully God. Let me testify, says John. But he was fully human. And why is this truth so important? Why is it that the Father heart of God is that you would know the truth about the nature of Jesus, that he was fully God and fully man? It's because, as John Stott points out in his wonderful book called The Cross of Christ, here is our dilemma as fallen human beings. As sinners, we owe a debt that we cannot pay. Amen? The cost of our sin is death itself. Only God can pay a price that high and come out all, you know, okay. Come out unscathed. Only God has power over death. Only God can pay that price. You see the dilemma then here. There is no one who can pay the debt of sin but God. And at the same time, there is no one who owes the debt of sin but human beings. Only God can pay, but only humankind ought to pay. The only way out of this dilemma is there would would be one who was both God and human at the same time. One who could suffer the death that was due our sin, pay the price that was due our sin, that we owed, and yet exercise authority over sin and death and hell. Praise be to God. This is Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this is the worship, the worship that begins this great book. If we follow Jesus, if we put our trust in him, then we need not fear death. Because the very same power that raised Christ from the dead is alive in me. Yes. It's alive in you, if you're a follower of Jesus. That kind of life, the word of life, is what your father wants for you. And that's why it's so important to God and to the Apostle John that you know the truth. This is why he wants you to know his word. This is why he wants you to be able to recognize false teaching, flee from lies about him. My little children, the truth matters to God. The truth matters to God. And I just want to be clear that that is going to be a foundational truth at this church. And I realize that in a time where there is disagreement, All I'm asking, and I recognize that there can be, Lord Jesus, look around you. There is disagreement in the body of Christ. Amen? But that doesn't mean we're condemned to disunity. And that's why I'm encouraging you to come in here, you know, from the teaching that we're doing on Wednesday nights. We are not choosing to depart from the scriptures here at City Fellowship. We will never choose to depart from the scriptures here at City Fellowship. And of that, you can rest assured, okay? Recognizing there are people who interpret those scriptures differently. You can rest assured that we will never depart from the scriptures here at City Fellowship. Amen? Here's something we need to understand about the truth. As important as the truth is, the truth, though, is not the end of what God wants for you. 
The truth is a means to get you to what God really wants for you. And that is that we would experience true fellowship with him. Okay, that's our second point here. The father heart of our God for us is that we would experience true fellowship with him. We would know the truth about him so that we can experience true fellowship with him. John teaches us in his gospel that the truth will set you free. It's a good echo passage for what we're reading here. At the beginning of 1 John, same author. If you read through the gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you're going to see that this was written by the same the same person. There's the same kind of metaphors. There's the dark and the light, and there's all kinds of uh, uh, you know, things that are very much stylistically the same. John teaches us in his gospel that the truth has a purpose. It's trying to get you somewhere. It's trying to get you to freedom. And uh, this is a recognition that the truth is not the end, but a means to something. That's important to know because sometimes we will hear teachers really focusing on the truth, the truth, the truth, and the truth is important. It's foundational, but the devil knows the truth. The devil knows the truth, and he believes the truth. And the scripture says he even trembles at the truth. But he's not going where the truth is supposed to take him. He's not going there. He doesn't want to go there. So the truth, as foundational as it is, is not the end. It's the means. It's the means. It's meant to set you free, according to John chapter 8. Now, I notice that people have different definitions of what it means to be free. So let's turn over to the, the gospel of John. Keep your finger here in 1 John, and we'll flip over to the gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 8. Since we have kind of radical differences amongst, uh, you know, if you get four or five human beings in the same room, they're going to have a disagreement on what freedom means, what that looks like. So I thought it'd be good for us to check and see what Jesus means, how he defines freedom in, in John chapter 8. Let's look at verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So that abiding is a, what freedom is about. That's how Jesus defines freedom for you and I. He says, abide in me, and you'll find freedom. Connect with me. Draw life from me, the way a vine or a branch rather draws life from a vine. Tie yourself to me. Bind yourself to me with cords of love and you'll be free. You'll be free. There's more about freedom here. Look at verse 34. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The Son or the heir. Here Jesus defines freedom again. He says that the slave is the one who will not stay in the house. But the one who is free, the heir, the son, the firstborn, remains in the house forever. Isn't that interesting? How does Jesus define freedom? Living forever in his house, 
as a beloved child, being bound up together with him in the bonds of familial love. That's freedom in the definition of Jesus. Isn't that something? Fellowship is freedom, according to the Bible. Fellowship is freedom. Fellowship is freedom, brothers and sisters. Deep, abiding fellowship with God is where you find freedom. This is the word that the Bible uses for that deep, familial ties that bind kind of love. Koinonia, fellowship. Koinonia in the Greek means common. It has to do with, not, not something that is common, but common bonds. It has to do with two personalities being bound up together in a deep love. You can think of like a Venn diagram, if you will, right? Some people love Venn diagrams. Heather loves Venn diagrams. In Venn diagrams, Dr. Paul likes, likes Venn diagrams. All right, just making sure. Doctor. All right. A Venn diagram, you have two things that are, that are unique. They're separate from one another, but there's places where they have things in common, where they overlap and they're bonded together. They're bound up together. That's what koinonia means. It has to do with common bonds, deep love, two personalities, two entities being bound up together in a deep kind of love. This kind of love is well known to John in particular. As we stated earlier, John is known in the Gospels as the apostle that Jesus loved. This is not to say that Jesus did not love the other disciples. I, I, you know, I always thought, you know, it's in, it's in John's Gospel where he's referred to as the, <laughs> the disciple that Jesus loved. And I saw the other guys be like, what? Yeah, I could have beat him to that. Um, but I think that it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love the other, the other apostles or the other disciples. I believe, honestly, that John simply opened himself up to the love of God in Christ in a unique way. I believe he was willing to be loved by Jesus in ways that most of us would be afraid or embarrassed to. John the disciple is the one that leaned back and rested on Jesus at the Last Supper. It's like a child nuss, you know, nestling into the, the chest of their father. The King James says that John leaned on Christ's bosom. That made you nervous, didn't it, when I said that? That's intimate. That's embarrassing. And I almost kind of sense you know, John being the one that's willing to lean back on Jesus to get close to Jesus. And the other ones are like, well, that's just embarrassing. I don't know if I'd do that. And I think that's why he was called the one that Jesus loved. He opened himself up in ways that were even embarrassing to the love of God in Christ. I picture John resting his head on Jesus like a child, resting his head on the chest of his or her father. It's a familial bond, a fellowship that is, that is deep and personal. Did you know, I've mentioned this here before, but we, in the entire history of the Orthodox Church, there are many bishops, pastors, teachers, there are archmandrites. I don't even know what those are, but there's only three theologians, and one of them is John, the apostle, and that's based upon him being the one that Jesus loved 
See, the, in the evangelical world, the distinction of theologian is bestowed upon you according to what you know. But in the orthodox world, the distinction of theologian is based upon how deeply you love. How much you love God. That's what makes you a theologian. Truth is vital. Truth is vital. It's foundational, but it's not enough. It's not enough. What you know is vital, but it's not enough. Truth is a means to freedom in Christ, and fellowship is freedom in the eyes of Christ. It is the Father heart of God that you be free, that you not be bound according to your sin anymore, that you be free, that you might experience true freedom in the bonds of love, the bonds of fellowship with God in Christ Jesus. But God wants even more for you. We say very often here that we, the problem is that not that our, uh, our desires are too high, it's that they're too low. And God wants more for us. He wants so much more for us than money and cars and wealth and that kind of low stuff. He wants more for us. More for us. C.S. Lewis says that our enjoyment of something is not complete until we share it. And I call this the Stevie Wonder principle. It's the isn't she lovely principle. <laughs> it's not enough for me to look on her and say in my head, she is lovely. It's not, an, it's, it's not enough. My enjoyment of her beauty is not complete until I turn to somebody else and say, isn't she lovely? Isn't she lovely? And I'm not asking you if she's lovely. I'm not asking you, is she lovely? I'm inviting you to celebrate her beauty with me, right? Isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful? <laughs> Sharing her beauty with you. That completes my joy. And in the same way, once we experience the freedom of deep abiding fellowship with God, the enjoyment of that fellowship is not complete until it is shared. It is shared until we invite others into that fellowship. This is the Father heart of God. Thirdly, that our joy would be complete in sh the sharing of him with others. So, so let's go back to John, 1 John now, chapter 1, and let's look at verse 3 again together. It says that that which we have seen and heard, all that truth of, 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 his, of his being fully God and fully man, all that we have seen and heard, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all that we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. It's inviting you into the fellowship of God. John is inviting you and I into fellowship with him, into the fellowship that he has with God in Jesus Christ. 
In fact, if we keep reading in verse 4, we find that John makes no bones about the fact that he is writing this book so that his own joy would be complete. Did you see that? We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy may be complete. I love that. He knows that the joy that he has found in the fellowship of Christ will not be complete until he has invited others to experience the joy of that fellowship. I want my joy to be complete here today. So I want to invite you into fellowship today. And because I think songs can say more than what we can say with words alone, I want to sing that invitation to you if that's okay. Now, don't worry. I'm just as embarrassed as anybody else is right now. But I'm trying to, I'm trying to listen to my brother John and be willing to, to lean back and put my head on his chest and open myself up to the love of Christ and invite you into that fellowship with me. That's the way it's supposed to be. You and I in fellowship together in fellowship with God because of Jesus Christ. So I also believe that songs say more than we can say with words. It's like, it's like Martin Luther said, we, the one who sings prays twice. So you can say something sometime that sounds kind of corny. But if you put it with the right melody, ooh, ooh-wee. Okay, so this, this is a love song. It's a love song to Jesus. And I used to make fun of love songs to Jesus. I used to make fun of songs where you could take out Jesus' name and put your boyfriend's name in there or your girlfriend's name in there and it would work just the same. But I've been falling in love with Jesus. Okay. I'm just wasting time because I'm embarrassed. We're going to go ahead and invite some people up um, so I'm not standing up here by myself.